Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive. Blocked by Jackson. Bain. Step back three. Bingo! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest episode of the Core 4 Podcast. I'm Xavier, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, David Buckler and Matthew Gill. Guys, the Grizzlies are now on a seven-game winning streak, beating the Spurs last night. And, man, things are rolling good for the Grizzlies. Everything's seeming good. Tyus Jones stepping up. He's looking like he's not a backup point guard. We're showing why we paid him the big bucks. Uh, everything's great. How are you feeling right now, Matt? I'm feeling great, honestly. Yeah, the last night's game was uh, very exciting. You know, it, it got a little close there towards the end, so it was a competitive game. It was awesome to see the uh, the Jones brothers battle it out. And, yeah, they get back-to-back -back wins uh, on a back-to-back, on a -back, and they do it without John Morant. And this was a thing I was big on in this offseason, man. When he has any kind of little nick, cut, whatever it may be, don't play him. You don't have to, especially against teams like this, like Utah, who now is finally tanking. Uh, and a team like San Antonio that just has no way of winning good games, uh, games against good teams, I should say. Uh, so the front office is handling it perfectly. The team has responded well and stepping up in those back-to-back -back games. They've been really good. Um, you know, obviously, Ja doesn't play last night, but the uh, the last time they had a back-to-back, -back, uh, that Kings game, the second night, man, Ja just looked around and was like, hey, some of these guys just don't have it tonight. I'm going to take over. I'm the star of this team. So they've looked really good over this stretch. The seven-game win streak is super impressive. Yeah, most definitely. And then now we've reached the halfway point of the season, and it's showing a lot of how the Grizzlies have come together and surprised a lot of people. Um, how, how are you feeling about the Grizzlies right now, Dave? Are you happy what you're seeing right now? I can't believe what you just said, the halfway point of the season already, right? It's pretty remarkable. It feels like we just started doing the show when we were in, in training camp. I agree with both of you. I think it's – um. The team looks real good right now, and overcoming some injuries, guys playing their roles real well. Tyus Jones has just been tremendous. I'm feeling really good, especially the way Jaron Jackson Jr. seems to continue developing here into really that, that, that star that we've envisioned for a few years now. He just looks fantastic. The thing that, that Xavier stands out for me is we're winning the games that we should win. And I think that's the mark of a good team, even though, you know, San Antonio is not a great team. Utah is not a great team. We're still winning these games. And, and more often than not, certainly on the seven game stretch here, looks great. 27 and 13 tied with the Nuggets in the West as we tape this looks great. Yeah. And we, we talk about the halfway mark that will take us to our first segment. Yeah, like, like I was saying, with most teams reaching the halfway mark, playing about 40 to 41 games, a lot can be said what has happened for the season so far. Um, it's been a lot of surprises at the beginning of the season, but teams are starting to finally fan away. Matt, so far, are there any teams or players that has completely surprised you and thrown you off guard, or are you really – have you actually anticipated this from a lot of these teams? Uh, I think one of the things that stands out to me, I don't have this on my list, but just the the openness of the West, it does very much seem like it's anybody's conference to win right now. I think the East is a little more top heavy. There's probably only two to three teams that I really respect as being an Easter conference champion this year, but the West in general is wide open. And I think that that's something that I'm really surprised by. And I'll, I'll start here with my first uh, surprise, which is a player out West. And it's just that Jokic is better, man. He's unbelievable. He's a two-time MVP. And you would have said at the beginning of the year that 
it was more likely that we saw a regression from him than him get even better because the last two seasons have been unbelievable. But he continues to show every single night that he's on the floor that he is probably the best player in basketball right now. The way that he can control the floor, the way that he can get to his shot and score at um, you know any time that he wants to. Obviously, the rebounding numbers and the passing is unbelievable. It's it's just shocking to me that he's gotten even better, and now that his team has kind of uh, found its way a little bit towards the healthier side. Uh, which has not been the case the last couple of years, really makes them dangerous coming out of the West. Uh, so Jokic's improvement has de- definitely impressed me and surprised me. My second surprise so far uh, for halfway through the season is this scoring boom we're seeing, man. A lot of guys are putting up numbers right now. Uh, there's been 25 different 40-point games this season. Jalen Brunson just dropped 44 yesterday. Jalen Brunson scoring 44 points. Like, that's Not something that I would have anticipated at the beginning of the year. He's a nice player, but 44 points against a Milwaukee team that I think could win the NBA Finals, and I wouldn't be shocked by it. So I think that that's something that's super impressive. Um, You look at Laurie Markkinen, a guy who's been super impressive all season. He could be a surprise in and of himself, but he dropped 49 on Thursday, and it was like not even a story. Uh, Obviously, that comes against Houston, but it just goes to show you how – Regularly, we're seeing these incredibly incredibly high-scoring numbers from these guys. Uh, there's six guys in the league right now that are averaging 30-plus, and 27 of the 30 teams right now are averaging 210 points per game or more. Uh, it's just an unbelievable amount of scoring going on. We will see those numbers come down in the playoffs. Obviously, me and Dave have talked about it a lot on the show. Things will get tighter. And really, something else that goes into this is the variance in the three-point shooting. For whatever reason, I feel like, this year we're not seeing as many blowouts in it. But when you look at some of these low these teams that we thought were going to be bad coming into the year, you look at Indiana uh, and, and teams that have been good so far this season that we thought were going to be bad coming into the year. You look at Indiana, you look at Utah, two teams that on paper are not very good, but in and, and San Antonio as well. When they when these teams hit their threes, man, they can hang in any ball game. Um, and we're seeing that across the league. There's a lot of really good shooters, scorers across the league. Um, so the scoring boom that we're seeing in the NBA, super surprising, super fun. It makes for a really good product. And my last surprise I'm going to hit you with right here, a team I just mentioned, Indiana is super fun, bro. I love watching that team. Tyrese Halliburton is incredibly entertaining. He is on the level of John Morant. He obviously, his team is not having the winning, but just any given night, if you watch that guy play basketball, it's so much fun to watch the ability he has to pass. And when guys are hitting shots around him, they're really tough to beat, honestly. I think they're a really good team. Uh, I like some of their young pieces. I like Nimhard, who's been really good for them. Uh, Halliburton, as I said, and then the guys like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, some veterans that you know have been on the trade rumors, but super, super good for them so far this season. So Indiana being fun, uh, being scrappy, having a pretty good record uh, so far through halfway through the season uh, is a big surprise for me. So those are all my surprises so far. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with you. The scoring intake this year has been ridiculous. Back in the day, 2000s, and even you could say in the 2010s, and when guys was dropping 40-plus, there was the talk around town. There was the talk during school, especially during lunches, man. Yeah, like, bro, he dropped 45 points. KD dropped 45 points, 50 points. People would just brush a 40-bomb like it's easily. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40-bombs are just the new normal nowadays. So, yeah, yeah. If I could add one more thing, too. Yeah, we um, we finished recording before the game ended last Monday, but Donovan Mitchell scoring 71, bro, in that overtime game, 
That's crazy, man. And that makes All Cleveland right. super difficult to beat, in my opinion, too. I know we've been high on them, but yeah, the, the scoring around the league is awesome right now. I, I honestly think that uh, Wilt, Wilt record for 100 is going to be up for grabs in a few years with, hey, if with, got, with scoring. If yeah. a guy, I mean, it's possible that a guy like Steph Curry could hit 23s in a game and absolutely get close to that number. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's 71, though, was incredible. It was a, it was a great performance for sure. Okay, Dave, swinging your way, let's see, do you have any, like, is there any disappointments, any guys that you feel disappointed about? Or as well, do you have any impressions from with teams or players this year, this season so far? I have to say, by the way, whenever you talk about back in the day, you know, back in the day for me is a lot different than back in the day for you guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah back in the day, like Kobe and Dirk, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I was like married with kids. Yeah, it's 2012 is back in our day. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. That made me laugh. So, so I, I, you know, for, for surprises, I had a lot that, of what you guys had already mentioned. For disappointments, I looked at the Western Conference. Everyone talks about how the Western Conference is wide open and it's so competitive. I think there's a lot of really average, average teams in the Western Conference. It's kind of disappointing. I like when Golden State's playing better. I like when Phoenix is playing better. The Clippers, they're on what? Uh, the Clippers right now are six game on a losing six streak. Game losing streak. Uh, you know, Minnesota's been so up and down. Teams that we really expected to take another step this year and be really competitive teams right now. Now it is halfway through the season. Maybe they'll start to get their legs underneath them, get some guys back healthy, and make a run here towards the end of the year. But it's really helped Memphis, right? Because we're sitting up top of the Western Conference. But just. The disappointment in some of these teams and also in the Eastern Conference, look at Atlanta, Chicago, Toronto, I, I wrote down in Miami, those teams just really average basketball teams. And what it's done for me, Xavier, is it's done like I don't look forward to watching these teams as much as I used to in the past. So I look around on like league pass and there just aren't as many games that capture my attention that used to because I just feel these teams are very, very average. I think that the Anthony Davis injury for me has been kind of disappointing too, because LeBron has been just magnificent this season. And they were kind of an exciting team, at least like a car wreck. You had to watch them. When Davis was playing well, they, they seemed to be dangerous. And, you know, that basketball is better when the Lakers are interesting, if nothing else. So I hope that he can come back. And, you know, right now they're, they're looking outside of the playing, but it just uh, his injury and inability to stay on the court has disappointed me. Yeah, I mean, hey, yeah, you go ahead, Matt. Okay, I was just, I was just gonna say I have on my disappointments list. I have the injuries as well, and I th I think it's a lot of different guys. Steph is obviously gonna come back, but he's missed a big part of the season, and that's been a reason that the Warriors have struggled. Um, if you if you add AD and Steph to these other guys, you have an All Star team right here. Steph, KD, Devin Booker, Zion, AD, like those are that could be an All Star starter team, bro. And they're all out right now or have missed significant time and, and may continue to miss significant time. That's super disappointing, man. And I said it before the year started. We had one of the healthiest um, top-to-bottom NBAs we had seen in a long time, it's, it, especially when you look at just the, the superstars of this league. There were so many guys that were healthy. Really, you could make the argument that Jaron Jackson Jr. was the best player that was injured coming into this mm -hmm. season. And right now we are seeing that now the injury bug is starting to bite people, and that is a big disappointment. But as we said, halfway through the season, hopefully some guys can get back before the playoffs. Let me add one thing about the disappointments. I'm going to the uh, the Grizzlies Pacers game Saturday. 
My, my best friend lives in Indiana, so I'm going out for the game. And uh, this will be my second chance, hopefully, to see John Morant this year. So I really hope that he plays. Now, we play Wednesday, so they have a couple days off before the Pacers game. I hope we get a full squad on uh, Saturday night. Any update, guys, on Brandon Clark? How, how is hip is coming along? Is this just a precautionary thing? What do we know? Yeah, I, I, from what I saw from, from tweets, Taylor Jenkins was saying that they being precautious. He has like an a extra soreness. So they just want to make sure that he's uh, going to be very well rested and have that hip back into his original state. It's no rush. So it's nothing that's like big, big and concerning. So I feel like he probably should be back. They was talking about later this week or next week. Good. But I, I mean, I agree with you guys. The injury bugs is always a disappointment here in the NBA. I mean, it's nothing that you can't control about it. Uh, you you want to see these guys at their healthiest so it can be entertaining. But for me, for like a disappointment is I, I feel like it's us. In previous seasons, there was so many more trades going on right around now. I feel like there's no trades whatsoever. It's been a lot of talk, all, all bark, no bite. And I want more trades around the league because it's so, like you were saying, the West is wide open. Teams really need to make a find a way for their third superstar or their extra role player. And it's just, like I said, there's so many teams that's all barking on bike and bite. And I think it's a big situation due to the fact that that go bear trade happened this past off season. So many teams want so much in demand for the, for the simple role players nowadays. They just want they want two draft picks and a, basically your other star player for a simple role player. And, and teams not willing to give that up. And that's why I feel like no teams are actually going to make anything shake or make something work. Um, and so I, I feel like that's a huge disappointment. But I am impressed with the Brooklyn Nets because I really thought that they, their season was done for. And they turned it uh, a complete 360. They're second in the East now. I know KD, sadly, we talk about injury bugs. He just became injured. He's out for a month. But, man, they really turned that whole system, that dynamic around because they were literally in the bottom of the East to turn, be the second best team in the East now and have one of the best defenses in the league. That's very impressive. Jack Vaughn has those guys locked in. Uh, Ben Simmons has stepped up his play. Kyrie. Looks like he's dialed in, and I'm I'm glad that they're playing great basketball right 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 about now. And they got a good win um, against the Heat. I think that was last night, right, or the night before. That was a good yeah, win. Yeah, that was the night before. Yeah, possibly could have been a foul uh, there on the buzzer beater by Jimmy Butler, but they they end up fighting it out, and that's a good win on the road. Um, I'm with you, Xavier. It, it's interesting that there has been so little trade talks, and, and you nailed it. It is the Rudy Gobert trade that threw a monkey wrench in the entire trade market honestly um you see i saw earlier from nba central on twitter they were talking about the atlanta hawks want a similar package for john collins like you're talking about like not a guy that's going to take you to championship heights unless you're you know a really really good team already maybe if you're the boston celtics and he's like your sixth or seventh dude then maybe that makes you uh maybe an even better title contender but yeah the, the trade market's totally turned on his head ever since the go bear deal and as Dave said Minnesota's been so up and down. Like, that trade looks worse every single day that goes by, and teams don't want to have that happen to them. They don't want to be um, pulled over the barrel and, and be stuck with either a guy like Rudy, Rudy Gobert that's not contributing to winning or just being lost with no draft picks coming up either because you you go and get a guy like that who's not contributing to winning at all. 
So, um, yeah, it's definitely disappointing that there hasn't been more rumors, but it just seems like all the stars are super content right now. We don't have any superstars that are really asking out or want to leave. Um, so I think that th those things both definitely play a role in it. And, and you are right. Brooklyn's been really, really good the last little bit. Okay, rolling into our second segment. Jaron Jackson has been on the defensive clinic since he's came back from injury. He's averaging a career-high 3.3 blocks a game, right around the steal per game. As well, the Grizzlies, he turned the Grizzlies from a, a worse defense before he came to when he came as a top-five defense in the league right now. Dave, is Jaron a lock for Depoy this year? Do you have him as your defensive player of the year so far? I don't think he's a lock for it. I think he is the front runner right now. In fact, if you look at FanDuel, it, he's minus 130. And uh, it's a good indication that, that certainly Vegas feels like he's going to win the award. And, and right now, his impact on the defensive end has been absolutely stunning. And, you know, I, I've always liked Jaron Jackson Jr., especially his offensive game. I thought he would really, you know, be so valuable at the three-point line and driving to the basket. We talked about that in past shows. And he's always been a really high-level defender, but the foul trouble was frustrating, right? And, and it seems like he's really put it together on the defensive side now. The blocks are spectacular. And he has a couple where he, he gets the first block and the guy gets it, and he gets the second block, and it just takes your breath away. I think defensively, you know, he would win the Hakeem Olajuwon trophy if he would win this award. And uh, a lot of respect, you know, in the name of that award. Hakeem Olajuwon was, was a brilliant player in every regard. But he, he really looks more and more like the kind of guy, Xavier, that can anchor an NBA championship team with the defensive presence he brings, maybe that we haven't seen since a Ben Wallace, a Dennis Rodman type. He's been, I think he's been breathtaking. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you say anchor because when I think of defensive anchors, you, you say Ben Wallace and, and Dennis Rodman, but you, they held their other teammates accountable with playing defense as well. And you look at others who's been stepping up, like Steven Adams. I know Matt was talking about that last podcast. How he's averaging almost a, a block and a half per game. Santi Aldama is averaging a block. And um, even Brandon Clark. So he, I feel like he has everybody else stepping up playing defense. Do you, do you feel that as well, Matt? I don't know that he is the vocal leader as much as Dylan is on the defensive end for sure. But I think guys definitely feed off of Jaron's energy. As Dave said, the blocks are not only super effective, they're incredible to watch. And, and if you're a teammate of his, when you see those blocks, it's hard not to want to contribute on defense as well. So I think from that aspect, he definitely has got the guys fired up and they're playing harder. Um, and wanting to contribute. Uh, another guy that um, has really sparked on defense as well, he's talking about Steven Adams, who I've loved, who, what he's contributed the last little bit. John Contrar's really got this, like, reach around, poke the ball away, steal down, dude. That's, like, his go-to move right now um, when guys are going by him. Uh, the entire team defense is great, and and it is evident the change that happened before Jaron was on back from injury and since are, are, is, is stark. And you have to give him a lot of credit for that. Here's my argument against Jaron being the defensive player of the year right now. I, I just think that rebounding has to matter. And Jaron is a very special case because we have one of the best rebounders in the entire league, if not the single best in Steven Adams. But a defensive possession does not end until you secure that rebound, man. And I just wish that he was closer to an eight-rebound mark. And that's why I have guys written down like Nick Claxton, Miles Turner, Evan Mobley, 
Dave brought up the betting odds. When we are, when anytime we talk about awards like this, that's the first place I'm going to go and look is what are the betting odds? What, um, what does Vegas think about this and where is some value? I like that the, the, these three other guys, Claxton Turner and Mobley, because they are averaging eight rebounds a game. Again, it is a special case because of Steven Adams takes away so many, so many of those rebounding opportunities. But if you're going to be a defensive player of the year, I think that you have to be around that eight rebound a game mark. He probably is. Um, if he continues to have three, almost three and a half blocks a game, he probably will win the award. But I think that something has to be said for the fact that you got to rebound a little bit better. And I think that we can say that confidently about Jaron. Not only can he be more aggressive as a scorer, but also as a rebounder. So, Matt, it was really interesting. You talk about the odds. Uh, last year's winner, Marcus Smart, I kept scrolling down and scrolling down and scrolling down. He's a plus 11,000 to win the award. It's really interesting that he was the winner last year and, and is not even in consideration, really. What changed so much for Marcus Smart to win the award last year and not even be considered this year? I think the team defense for Boston has a lot to do with it. Um, he doesn't have as much responsibility as maybe he did last year there's also just a huge emphasis if you are a guard and it is hard to win this award as a guard the numbers yeah. especially um the, the real advanced analytics of defense and basketball are always going to favor the big guys but you just have to be um you you have to lead the league in steals by like a wide margin if you're going to win it as a guard and he's just not doing that um that's why a guy like OGN and OB maybe in front of him um and I don't know I I just think that there's other guys that definitely deserve consideration like an OG, maybe even like a Marcus Smart. But, you know, we you just talked about Brooklyn, uh, Xavier, and I think that Nick Claxton was a huge part of that as well. Obviously, KD turning it up to another level on the defensive end and being more focused on rebounding helps. But Nick Claxton, I mean, Brooklyn's biggest problem coming into the year was their size, and Nick Claxton's been a huge help for them, both rebounding and protecting the rim. So I, I like him a lot. As I said, though, I think if Jaron Jackson can continue to have three and three point three blocks per game by the end of the season, it's hard not to give him the award. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like you were saying, Nick Claxton. I watched him. The Nets been playing like he's been amazing defensively. Whether yep. he's guarding the perimeter or protecting the inside of the paint, he has been great. And as well, like he gets he gets those rebounds. He's out. He's averaging was almost almost eight plus rebounds a game. But I wanted to throw in this. We look at a previous Depoy winner for the Grizzlies, Marcus All in 2013. First of all, he won Depoy, and he was second team all defense that year, which is the first person to ever do that. I know, like, the, the voting was different that year, but that was very weird. Yeah. And as well, he was not the team leading rebounder. It was Zach Randolph. Zach Randolph was, of course, the better rebounder between the big man, the, 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 the duo between Marcus All and Zebo. But we all knew who anchored that defense. That was Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol was that solid frame. Um, he was going to body those bigger guys. You weren't going to go inside the paint and get an easy layup. That was Mark Gasol was that second reinforcement. And he wasn't even, you know, that strong of a blocker as Jaron Jackson is. I think this year what really separates Jaron um, being accredited for such a great defensive player this year. I had said it early in one of our podcasts, I felt like it's the national attention now. I, I knew immediately once he came back, he was going to make a huge impact. That first game he played was against the Pelicans. And guess what? That was on national TV. He had six blocks that game. And from there, he averaging so many double-digit blocks. Um, he's switching. 
And a lot of them, like uh, Grizzlies Twitter has been doing, doing a phenomenal job advocating for Jaron. And I think that's why he's such a, a high odds right now to win the defensive player of the year this year. Although he still has not played enough games to to actually win it. He's, what is, I think you got to play 70% of games. I think he's at 60 because you look at NBA.com and see the box leader. He's not, he's, just, he's not there. He's not there. Although he is leading the lead in blocks. But he's not registered there. It's Brooke Lopez at was it two point nine, I believe. So oh, yeah, I, I I thought it was Claxton, but uh, let me double check real quick. I gotta pull it up. Yeah, it's Claxton, and oh well, it looks like they're both tied with six or two point six. But it, it it's really impressive though because I think I had read that Jaron is like third in total of all blocks, and he has he. He had a late start. Yeah. <laughs> he, he really did have a late start, and now he's just this dominant defensively, man. It, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast this week on The Ringer. I think they have uh, some good NBA coverage on there. And I heard something I thought that was really interesting about the Joker. Because, you know, look, we're winning the games we should win. San Antonio, Utah, we talked about this. You know, we have some <clears> – looking forward to the playoffs, Denver's a problem. And – Maybe they'll get knocked off. Maybe we won't have to play him. But if we do, what the comments said about Joker that I thought was so interesting is how he inverts your defense because he plays kind of at the free throw line. You know, the old time centers right down the block. Right. And, and Joker, everything flows through him high at the free throw line, at the elbows. And he, he really stresses your defense because that and we've talked about this on this show with Stephen Adams that pulls him away from the basket. He's a less effective rebounder. And so I think. The regular season's great. The defensive player of the year trophy, that would be nice. I think it's going to be so interesting if Jaron has to lock up and be more of a, a versatile defender against Joker in a playoff series with Denver, because I think Steven Adams is really going to struggle in that matchup. So it, do you guys feel like Jaron then would be given that assignment if we would play Denver in the playoffs? It all depends, because it's – I don't know, like Taylor Jenkins is so different with his strategies. I, I I find this so infatuating. We go back, I want to go back into the 2021 playoffs, I believe. It was Milwaukee versus the Brooklyn Nets. Giannis won Depoy that year, but they did not put Giannis on KD. KD, uh, Giannis never did guard KD at all. And everybody was just so confused. Why, why is PJ Tucker guarding KD when you have somebody that's completely longer and won defensive player of the year? Why would you not want him to guard guard the uh, opposing team best player? And it's because it's certain strategies. Like it's a, it is a different role between the two players because Giannis is a lot more effective offensively. You look at Jaron. We do know that Jaron has been great uh, with the foul, not, not fouling a little bit more. But I feel like if he's matched up against Jokic, that's going to drain Jaron to get a lot of fouls that, that series right there. So you have to put Steven Adams on there. And then from there, I feel like at the end of the game situations, that's when you go ahead and allow Jaron, your best defender, to, to, to play Jokic. But at the end of the day, the, Jokic is such a dynamic player. It's really hard to guard guys like him, regardless of what you throw at him how many double teams, or if you have the best player, if you have your best perimeter defender and post defender on Jokic, he's still going to find a way to get his and get others evolved. But I understand what you're saying, Dave. Like, it is concerning to know if Jaron will be able to, to guard somebody as, as, as uh, 
as a creative player like Jokic. Yeah, and you mentioned Giannis not guarding KD in that series. LeBron's done it too, you know, and we see Jaron do it a lot. It it's, gives them the ability to freelance so much more and get these chase down blocks and be a, be a help defender so much more. And I think that Jaron is super valuable in that. And honestly, I think Steven Adams has held up well in his matchups against Jokic since he's been a Memphis Grizzly. And I kind of like the ability to throw, even if it's, 30 minutes of physicality, really hard-nosed basketball at Jokic, and then let Jaron, if, if it comes down to crunch time, if it's a buzzer-beater situation where Denver has the ball inbounding down one point, then you throw Jaron on him, fine. But I like the idea of wearing him out for, uh, you know, the majority of the game with a really physical player like Steven Adams. And then it, if the moment arises, then you can throw Jaron on him. But I, I, just, I just think Jaron's value as a freelancer and as a help defender is so much more that – I don't think we're going to see anything different than what we've seen so far, and that's Steven Adams really matching up one-on-one with Jokic. All right. As I said earlier in the segment, we reached the halfway mark of the season, so I wanted to see in our next segment, we'll head into our college football playoff rankings. Who are we feeling right now as you guys' top four teams in the league and association? So, Dave, who you got as your top four teams, and tell us why. Sure, and, and and do we do we know where the the rankings start today, or do we do that after the segment where we update the point totals? I got you right now. Um, the last rankings were Memphis was actually one. Then we had Boston, Cleveland, uh, and New Orleans to round out the top four, and then we went Denver and Milwaukee on the outside looking in, and that's where we stood. Um, the last time we did it, before we do this segment, the next time I'm going to go through all of our rankings and come up with some kind of point system to see where we have everybody because we've had a ton of different votes um, and a ton of different teams. So I'm going to compile all those stats for us later. But as of right now, Memphis, Boston, Cleveland, New Orleans was the last ranking. That's very interesting. And I, I think that uh, I've been listening to you guys over the past uh, couple months and you, you, you've won me over with the Denver Nuggets. And, and back in our previous segment, the surprises, disappointments, not only is, is Jokic a great player, I, I think that they've rounded out their team nicely. And they're getting nice contributions from, from Gordon and some health now finally, you know, getting getting guys back, Murray and, and Porter, their bench looks better. I have them number one. I, I have number one because I think I trust Joker the most but on a night-to-night basis, especially when the playoffs come around. You know what you're going to get with him. I do have Boston, too. They went through a little bit of a hiccup there. It was a kind of weird game against Orlando at home. And they've had some strange results, right? The Oklahoma City game, they got blown out. But they're still really, really good. Tatum's an all-NBA type player. I just feel like Denver's a little more reliable in big spots. But I have Denver 1, Boston 2. I do have Memphis 3. And I do like the way Memphis is playing. Sometimes I'm a little grouchy about some things. But they've played really well. Uh, Seven-game win streak. We have some winnable games coming up. uh, And and I I have them sitting at 3. Fourth, I have Milwaukee. I would have had Brooklyn fourth, but the injury to KD, it's very untimely. And, you know, Xavier mentioned Claxton, and they have other guys, too, that are really rounding out and helping that team. Curry's been great for them. I like the way their coach is, is handling that roster right now. I like Brooklyn, but I think the injury is going to knock them down a little bit, stall some of that momentum. Denver one, Boston two, Memphis three, Milwaukee and Giannis four. And uh, there's quite a bit of a drop, I think, as we get into the middle of the NBA. Those are my top four. Nice list, nice list. I I, I got something similar to you, Dave. I'm going to let you go ahead and go, Matt. Who you got? 
I don't have much to say. I have the exact same list as Dave. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Denver, it's Boston, it's Memphis, and it's Milwaukee. And all I have to say is finally, we finally turned Dave. Look, look yeah. at what I just said. On the last rankings, Denver was the fifth team. Um, and that was despite me having them number one the last time we did this. Denver's a really good team. And as Denver's, uh, uh, excuse me, as Dave said, I love what they did this offseason in getting guys like Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell Pope, even in the draft getting Christian Brown. Like they have surrounded their single best player with a ton of really good guys that fit well with him. Um, and they deserve the respect as being the number one team. And I think they are a candidate to add another guy as well. On paper, in the Jokic era, it wasn't the best team because Jokic hadn't fully become himself. But when this Denver team really started to get rolling, they had a really good backup center behind him. And I think that they have the opportunity to add a guy like that before the deadline, even maybe a buyout guy, somebody besides um, DeAndre Jordan, who was a DMP last night, and some of the other smaller guys that they throw out there. I think if they add a guy like Plumlee from Charlotte, um, or, or somebody of that caliber. And, and, you know, when I really started to fall in love with this Denver team, Plumlee was on those teams as the backup, and maybe that's why I go there uh, so quickly. And um, But I think that that's where they can improve. But I love this roster top to bottom. As Dave said, they're getting healthier at the right time, and Jokic continues to be one of the best players in the game. And you look at the stat line against the Lakers the other night, man. I mean, 100% from the floor. He only shot five shots, but uh, 14 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds. I mean, he's, he's just unbelievable. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Definitely my favorite player outside of Memphis. But, yeah, that's I got the same list as Dave, so that's all I got. Xavier, you're going to have to break the tie here. Um, It's, it's funny because I got this – from one through three, I got the same Denver, Boston, the Grizzlies. But for the number four slide, I, I do have Brooklyn. I know with the Kevin Durant injury, that's going to nick them down a bit. But, man, we cannot take away of how much they've improved offensively and defensively. They've been locked in. Uh, I mean, KD, if you look at his stats, man, he's he was having a silent MVP year. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's so effective. He's so effective. He's shooting above 50% behind – I mean, shooting 50% above 50% uh, at the field. And this is a guy, he came from an Achilles injury. Most people do not come back the same after an Achilles injury. The only person I know who came back was Dominique Wilkins. And after that, by then, like, it was, I mean, it was it for Dominique. But, man, Kevin Durant has found, like, a, another youth. He's, and the Nets are playing great basketball as a unit. I had to put them there. Although I know, I mean, now Kevin Durant, we know he's going to be out for a month. I, I still put them over Milwaukee. Milwaukee, although they've been winning, they've been a little suspect lately. Like, they've been having some bad losses. Uh, I, I can't remember, but they had another uh, – they lost to the Hornets pretty bad the other night. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yo, <laughs> this is the uh, the second worst team in the, in the league. And they was getting blown out by 40, 40 points in the second quarter. So, no way I'm putting Milwaukee at number four. Brooklyn is there for right now. I know Kevin Durant is going to be out, but Milwaukee, I couldn't do that after that that Hornets loss right there. So, yeah. Well, what's kind of interesting is the top of each conference has some pretty nice teams. And some people could say, well, you know, the, the competition around the league is so balanced. There's such equality. So, you know, you have, you have all this parity. And sometimes you see that and, and, and there's good teams playing good basketball. I think it's the opposite here. I think there's a lot of real average. Real vanilla. 
I mean, the, the Warriors, Suns, we talked about Rose, the, the Timberwolves, the Blazers, the Jazz, they're all just like really average teams. The Knicks, the Heat, the Hawks, the Bulls, the Rebs, the Wizards. Like, they're, it's not like they're just beating each other up playing great basketball. They're like beating each other up with these 500 records playing really average basketball. You know what I mean? Like, like not really exciting games. Some of the stars have been really disappointing. So it's really interesting to me. The top of the conference is when we get to the playoffs, hopefully by the second round, it weeds itself out. We should still have, I think, a very exciting April and May. But I think right now on a night-to-night basis, there's a lot of bland basketball out there right now. I mean, I, I do feel that, but I will say this, though. You look at Golden State and Phoenix, they're at seven and eight. Uh, so they will be in the playing situation. If you have a healthy Curry and a healthy Devin Booker, that means most likely Memphis will have to face a Golden State and Phoenix in the first round. I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I will be quite frankly honest. I don't want to see that. If even look, we look, the Clippers right now are number six. So if they drop down, we, we say, yeah, it's some average basketball right now, but turn around heading to April and May. If we have to match up against them in the first round, that's an onslaught right there. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer. Whoever is going to come out this West, I believe it's going to be like a, a one through three seed. I think every series out the Western Conference is going to be a six or seven game series right there, six or seven game matchup in, in the playoffs. Yeah, I got to disagree with you, Dave. I, I think there's plenty of good teams. Um, yeah, uh, the the Phoenix and the Golden State thing, like they're both missing their best players. So it's like, what what, what can we do? And, I, you know, I think there's plenty of good basketball out there still. Once all of these guys and all these teams, um, if they are able to get their guys back, I think it's going to be a super exciting playoffs. I think it's a lot more wide open than um, – then, then it sounds like either of you think I, I don't I don't see a reason that the Clippers couldn't come out of the West and they don't have to be a top three seed to do it either with the way that their roster is constructed. If they're healthy, they could beat anybody. New Orleans, if they get their guys back, they're dangerous as well. I think that it's very much wide open. I think there's tons of good teams and, and there is com- some competitive basketball out there. But like Phoenix, for example, you say, you know, Booker's been hurt, but you know, Jaws been hurt for us. We've been injuries all up and down the roster, you know, and Phoenix, they're one in nine in their last 10 games. So, that, you know, because the, the, the reality is Chris Paul's bad now. He's not a good player anymore. He's an average, average point guard. And Aiden is grumpy and doesn't want to be there. They have bad team chemistry. Like, it's not just Devin Booker. And it's interesting to me, I think, that the window for these teams closes real quick in certain cases. I mean, if, do we really think that that the Clippers are going to put it all together with that team? Kawhi's never fully healthy. Booker's in and out. Suns are – I just think, like – Week, I expected so much more high-level basketball throughout the league. The Hawks are a mess. The, the, and in fact, the DeJounte Murray trade, as Xavier mentioned, but there's not a lot of trades going on. I want to trade. I'm ready to trade. <laughs> and if I was GM, I'm ready to go. I love DeJounte Murray. And I thought when he went to Atlanta, I was like, wow, how did the Grizzlies let that guy? Like, he's really good. They're terrible. The Hawks are terrible. The Bulls are terrible. I just feel like, you know, even Levine's back for the Bulls. They're like, ugh. All these teams are like really, really average basketball teams. I mean, yeah. Uh, some teams, the trades, it has it fan out. But you, you just got to remember, like, this is a competitive league. It's going to – teams are going to separate who's elite and who's going to be mid, who's going to be terrible. So, 
I, I mean, we, we see who's surprises. I mean, the surprises like Indiana and sometimes, you know, the Knicks. And we see the disappointments right now of Atlanta, Miami, and Chicago. But at the end of the day, like, you still are going to have the elite teams that's going to stand out and pop out. But, yeah. So, if, Matt, we you got do, if we were doing an Atlanta Hawks podcast, we would be crying how bad that team. You know, my, <laughs> my brother's a Knicks fan. He's not excited. Uh, thank god we're doing a grizzlies podcast yeah you're right matt you got the update on the scores yeah i mean it's just mine and dave's list that kind of um just just did it the fact that me and dave had the exact same list so it is denver boston memphis and milwaukee are our top four teams for nba title contenders ranked by the college football playoff committee this week okay now we're going to close to our fan favorite, the Climbing Corner. Dave, I know you had to see this this past week against the Jazz. Jordan Clarkson over here trying to fade Desmond Bain. Um, they didn't go too well with Grizzlies Twitter, obviously. I mean, I know we've been having talks about should the Grizzlies go ahead and trade for Jordan Clarkson. That's one of the guys that a lot of people have been eyeing. A lot of people got sour tasting their mouth after Jordan Clarkson. Uh, incident this past week and he got ejected so Dave he's still on the Jordan Clarkson hype train for the trade I'm a bit concerned <laughs> that <laughs> when I was watching the game I, I I didn't didn't like it it was a little unsettling right uh yeah you're right I, I've been wanting to push for that trade and I think someone's gonna someone's gonna grab him and let's be honest I think that's professional basketball if, if they really wanted to make a trade to get these guys in the room give them a cause and what's going on yeah not the first time guys have had disagreements on the court and I don't think we should judge someone by one game. You know, and people are like, oh, they're completely off Clarkson because you know, the, the guy's averaging 20.4 points a game. <laughs> He's a good basketball player. It was a bad look for him in a bad moment. He's not the first guy ever to have that. But it was a little concerning. Uh, you know, and I, I do really like Gary Trent Jr. from Toronto, too. He's been red hot lately. It just seems like the kind of guy I me mean, is he's averaging 18.4. His splits are good. You know, if we would have had a guy like Gary Trent Jr., he'd be averaging the third highest point total on the team. So, you know, these are not uh, just throwaway players. They're good high-level NBA scorers. And it's funny, you know, we, get, we go crazy because Zaire Williams had a few good games. He's averaging six points a game. You know, he's playing better. We'll see a couple weeks if he keeps us going. You know, everyone loves Conchar. He's averaging seven points a game. Everyone loves Big Body Roddy because it's fun to say. It's like Roddy Roddy Piper. I love one of my favorite wrestlers. And and, and, and Roddy's fun. And it's averaging 6.5 points a game. So to say, like, we don't want Jordan Clarkson and it's 20 a game, I, I think is a bit naive. I still think, and here on Twitter sometimes, well, you just repeat that same stale narrative that the Grizzlies are a star away. It's not what I'm saying. I think they need some bench scoring when we may have that playoff game where uh, Brooks and Jackson, you know, but we're, we're good with Bain and Morant, right, as our featured scores, but it's still a lot of pressure on them. And in and, and the, the playoffs, at some point, we're going to need some guy to step up. We have not seen Jaron or Dylan Brooks do that in the Western Finals or the NBA Finals because they haven't had that chance. So it, it makes me a little nervous. I'd like a little more scoring on that bench. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it happens. I, I, I think – the other note uh, that I wanted to mention, Xavier, is at some point we don't need more draft picks. You know, the time to win is now. You know, we, we have a lot of draft capital, but we want two more rookies on this team next year. I, I don't see that playing real well. I know we have some young kids who are going to mature and get better, but I, I just think it's time. I think, I think the West is winnable. I think the NBA championship is winnable. And there's teams out there that soon 
are going to be moving veterans that can score off the bench? Uh, I mean, yeah, of course. Like I said, I talked about it earlier. Like a lot of teams have been all bark, no bite. There's no, there's haven't been any trades so far, but I still feel like, especially in the Western Conference, a team like the Clippers and the Warriors, they're, I feel like they have the capital and the assets to make those some trades. And I feel like they're going to be moving guys eventually to make their bench deeper and make a deep run this playoff. So, Matt, are you are you still are you on a train that the Grizzlies are going to make a move before the trade deadline hit, comes around? There's a couple guys that I have written down that I really like. Um, going off what Dave said, I, I disagree. I think the team chemistry is one of the greatest assets for the Grizzlies. And I, I don't think it's as simple as um, – and, and maybe it should be. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I don't, I don't think it's as simple as just welcoming Jordan Clarkson with open arms um, after what happened. That's clearly something that they took personally. And Clarkson also just, like, took it way too far. Like, it was one thing to – I don't think he intentionally tried to hit Bane, but just all the barking afterwards was just unnecessary. It was just time to get off the court and leave. It was clearly a flagrant two. Um, and I just don't see them making a move for a guy like that. I think they know that one of their most valuable assets is the team chemistry. There is another guy in Utah, though, that I like as a possible spark plug as a scorer, and that's Malik Beasley, man. I think that he's a really good shooter. He can light it up. And I think that three-point shooting, you know, as you say, Dave, the scoring is the biggest thing. And I think three-point shooting in particular uh, is the biggest need for sure if they try to go get a guy. And a guy, you know, another guy on that team I really like too is Kelly Olenek, who really does not match up with their timeline at all. I don't know how valuable he necessarily is for the Grizzlies because he may be a little bit better version of Santi Aldama right now. Like, I, I just don't see um, the need to go and get him, but he's a guy that I really like on that roster. One of the big reports that came out the last couple of weeks was, was the Cavaliers looking at the Detroit guys, Bogdanovich, and Sadiq Bay, a guy who I said before the season started that I really like Sadiq Bay. I think he would fit well um, both as a, a on the court and with the timeline of the Grizzlies. And Bogdanovich is a win now move. He's not the superstar move that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, um, and and you know wish that they would go get another superstar. But he's a win now player. He's an excellent shooter. Uh, he's a professional basketball player for sure. So I, I would love a move for both of those Detroit guys. Uh, Bogdanovich or Sadiq Bay or both of them as Cleveland is uh, reportedly trying to go. Xavier mentions the Clippers. I like Norm Powell a lot. That's a guy that I'd be willing to, to, you know, switch Dylan Brooks for. And I think that there still would be good defensive value there for him as well as the scoring. And Kyle Kuzma for Washington is a guy who I also thought would be a really nice fit on this team. But as this season has rolled on, guys, and I am – philosophically, when I think about NBA GMs, I think if you're not making moves that you are not doing your job in this league. But as the season has rolled on, as we've got to the midway point, as we've got guys more healthy and we continue to do so with Danny Green making a return soon, I'm to the point, I'm just ready to see this team play together. And I think they're going to stick with these guys. And I think that we need to see it in the playoffs. Hopefully everybody stays healthy and it's going to be healthy by that point. And if we can get that health, I think that they can make it to the Western Conference Finals. And for that reason, I don't think they're going to make a move at this point in the season. Let me, let me say one thing uh, to push back just a little bit on the Clarkson thing. He took it too far, right? But were people as outraged when Dylan Brooks chopped down you know, Gary Payton in, in the playoffs last year? He was one of ours, right? So it's like, well, you know, Brooks is emotional. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like we're all crazy because Clarkson, you know, hit, hit, hit our guy in the top of the head. But Dylan – 
I thought was even it was more violent in the playoffs last year in a much bigger spot. A hundred percent, and Golden State hates him. <laughs> Golden yeah. State wouldn't wouldn't take Dylan Brooks back. It's well, a yeah, they have thing. championship rings too. They can, you know. But and I, I I was well throw this. We look at Stephen Adams. We go back to the twenty fourteen playoffs when he throws that cheap shot at Zebo, game six, and forces Zebo to get suspended, and he misses game sevens. And Grizzlies fans didn't like <laughs> Stephen Adams. Until like he became until he became a Grizzlies and now he's one of the fan favorites. So who said who's there to say that Jordan Clarkson wouldn't fit well eventually with the Grizzlies? But I agree with you, Matt. I don't see a trade happening for this team. I know like we don't have that guy essentially off the bench that's going to get you a, 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 a burner or a microwave that's like a twenty point a, a night type of guy. But man, like when the bench is connected. And they're they're going like you have guys that's going to give you ten or, or eight or or six, and that's going to add up to to thirty points or thirty plus points off the bench, and that's and that's great. I, I, we look at Ty's Ty's is averaging uh, eleven points off the bench. Of course, his numbers are a little bit inflated when he starts, of course. But man, like he, he's a he's a bona fide ten points to score a night. And then you got Brandon Clark. He had a, a phenomenal playoffs against the Timberwolves. So we know what he's capable of during the playoffs. We look at Zaire this past. I know a lot of people talk about uh, rookies. Like they don't want rookies playing in the playoffs. They don't have a, a huge amount of trust. Zaire played phenomenal in the playoffs last year, and I still think he's going to grow and grow, continue and and involve his, himself as playing a lot better in, in, inside the offense, I don't see a trade happening. Um, these guys are starting to click, especially within the, the seven-game winning streak. You, you had guys to step up. Even Xavier Tillman has been playing some big, big minutes. And um, I'm proud of these guys. Uh, I, I It's just this chemistry. is It's a unit. And I know, like, at the end of the day, the NBA is a, it is a business, but – Climbing sees what these guys have right now for this season. I, if anything, if they don't make a, a deep run this year, it's going to be a trade that's going to happen this this upcoming offseason. But Climbing understands like he does not want to break this right now. Uh, Matt, you mentioned earlier the Joker is your favorite non Grizzly. Oh that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Xavier, do you, do you have a favorite non Grizzly that uh, you like watching? Shay Gilgis Alexander. That's a bucket getter right there. <laughs> Dude, he's nice, and he was pretty high up for the um, the initial All Star voting or whatever. So obviously, he's getting a lot of respect along uh, around the league. If I can add something to what Dave had said about the draft picks, I'm totally with you. At this point, they don't need more rookies. Like that, it's time to get guys who can contribute to winning right now. The problem is right now, there's just there's almost too many guys on this roster. And for them to just trade a draft pick for a guy straight up and you add another body into this rotation, I think it's going to get really difficult to find guys' minutes, especially guys who are already on the roster that they like. Really what the Grizzlies are set up to do right now from a roster and assets standpoint is do like a three-for-one trade for a guy who's really good, and that would be a guy who is a superstar. But there's just not a superstar that's available right now. And, um, you know, that is, I think is one of the things that is really holding them back from making a move right now. It has to be either a guy that's on an expiring contract or a guy who is going to be a superstar who you can trade a couple pieces for and not just one for one. It's it's really hard the way they've constructed the roster, but it also is a testament to Kleiman that he has compiled such a great and deep roster that it is hard to find room 
um, to, to get another guy in here without giving up a really good player as well. I think it comes down to really what the organization feels about Zaire Williams, because you could take Danny Green's contract, throw in Zaire and number one and probably get Bogdanovich from Detroit. I, I would agree. I would or agree. The money with you. matches up. It's close. The money's close. Maybe, you know, we throw in, uh, you know, uh, another player, but, but there's, there's moves to be made if they're willing, I think, to part with Zaire Williams. I know a lot of Grizzly Twitter say, you know, Kleinman's never going to do that. So they, they, I mean, we have to give them some faith. I, I trust that, you know, they, they do a good job building the roster, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I, it is a consolation move at some point. We've got to consolidate the roster uh, and, and, and get their our best eight or nine and get ready to go from April. Yeah, I, I really feel like Zaire was a, a long-term project because you got to remember, we traded up for him. And a lot of people on the draft boards and the draft projections really thought he was going to be a loud dra late yeah. draft pick. And Kleinman, he's the type of guy who doesn't want to wait around. But Tayshaun Prince really saw a lot he, in, in which he liked about Zaire. And I don't know if you guys know, but Tayshaun Prince is a scout for the Grizzlies now. And um, he saw a whole lot. Uh, similarities and what he how he used to play in Zaire and so they understood and know that Zaire was a project and it is an ongoing project and I, I mean I feel like he's been improving rapidly pretty well I know um, he hasn't had the best start because I mean of injury but he's looking more comfortable he's playing in a, a, in a better groove and a better spring of things but I mean going back with Matt saying if we just have too many good good pieces right now and that's how it is with a lot of teams, young teams in the, uh, in the league. You look at the New Orleans Pelicans as well. Like They have so many people that's deep on their roster. If they really want to, they can trade for, you know, a third, really a fourth superstar because they have C.J. McCollum, they have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. And, but at the same time, it's like, are we really ready to trust our young people or do we want to go ahead and trade for a third, fourth guy that's on an expiring deal? And we don't know what's their future. If they're 34 plus 32 plus, if they're going to still be the same down the road, two to three, four, five years from now. So I don't know. It's really up to each organization to figure that out. I think you and I would have a good time going to an OKC game though. To be, I love Josh Giddy. He's my he's like my favorite player in the league who's not on the Grizzlies. And, and their backcourt's really fun. It's it's a shame that the, the, the draft pick Homer got hurt. Yeah. Right. Because they're like a, a weird looking team, a bunch of tall, skinny guys, and they, they play kind of a fun style. They're they're fun. Yeah, that's an unorthodox team right there because they don't have an official center. Um, their center was a Poposhetsky. He's a he's weigh like 170 pounds. I weigh almost more than him. <laughs> he's just really tall and lanky, but I, I enjoy watching Josh Giddy play, play. He's a great playmaker. And Lou Dort, too. Lou Dort. Like, Lou Dort is nice. Like beast. And Jay Will, yeah. They, they have a ton of nice pieces, but the, the Holmgren thing, I don't know if this season would have gone different for them if Holmgren got to play, but the way that they do construct that roster and SGA missing games here and there the last couple of seasons in particular, that's why they're such a great organization to me because they understand the way to construct the roster where they would just be better if they did have a center, but they would rather tank. Like that's truly the art of tanking is can you put a team on the floor that does um, kind of look like it's trying, but they just don't have the guys. And that's why I respect OKC so much. I respect that hustle of just being 
um, you know, able to lose games while you still look like you have a, a lot of good pieces. And they do. I, I like Giddy a lot, too. And, and SGA is definitely one of the best scorers in the league. But I will say one thing about OKC is they have so many picks, of course, from that Paul George trade, that haul, and as well as that Russell Westbrook haul. At some point, you have to start winning. Um, I know I feel like that SGA is slowly starting to show his frustration frustration of losing because he came in he was he started in the culture of winning uh going to the playoffs with that Clippers team his first rookie year and then going to the playoffs again with OKC with CP3 I at some point like it is great as a young team that you have a hall of young I mean a hall of picks but it's not a good thing to just constantly be in a season of losing okay we'll try again get the first pick season losing okay we'll try again to get a lottery pick that's not, that's, not, that's not comfortable for young people. And you have so much young talent, it, it's going to allow those young players to become stagnant because all these guys, it's, it's only so many minutes that you can play, play, uh, play for these players. All right, you guys, that's the end of this episode of the Core 4 Podcast. appreciate you guys tuning in. All right, Matt, tell the people where they can find you on your socials. Yeah, follow me at Matt H. Gill. Follow at SBN Grizzlies for the Grizzly Bear Blues account where you can get all that written content and follow the show's page uh, as well at the Core 4 Podcast on Twitter. Okay, Dave, where do people can find you on your socials? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at DOB19338 and uh, look for me uh, Saturday night, uh, Pacers, Grizzlies game, be representing the Core 4 in Indiana. Hopefully, hopefully again, hopefully job play and then we'll run a full team out there. I got Thanks news for you, show, Dave. Man. They cleared John Morant. He's playing. I know he's playing tomorrow, so hopefully he will play for the Indiana game. But, and, and, and what a great matchup with Halliburton, right? I mean, it's a, it's a fun yeah. game. Yeah, 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 of course. Two two prolific point guards right there. And then, you go, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Zaytan Takes, and then you can find my TikTok page at underscore XZAY. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Peace. Stolen by Morant. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over. Thank you.